welcome to the ACC Basketball Report, my friends. It is a dreary, miserable fucking day in the Triangle today. Uh, I am your host, as always, Michael Hunter. You can find me at Pecone36 on Twitter. You can find me at accbasketballreport.com. We have uh, two new uh, articles up today. Uh, one was actually put up yesterday morning. The other one was uh, Friday evening. Uh, you can visit me for some content at slapthesign.com. I am doing some off-season scouting report slash recruiting stuff for them. Uh, really looking forward to <clears throat> getting into the season with them. Uh, hopefully I'm sounding a little bit better today. I, uh, I went ahead and threw a pop filter on the mic, even though I hate it. Uh, but I have a bad habit of getting right up on top of the mic and redlining. And sometimes my, my P's and my D's and my K's hit a little hard. Um, so hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully we're sounding a little bit better today. Again, always working to uh, improve the sound of the show because I am not a broadcast engineer. <laughs> this is not a studio. It is basically the third bedroom in my house. Um, again, new piece coming out today, Slap a Sign. Uh, it'll be a scouting report on Robbie Carmody, who is a incoming freshman to the 2018 class for Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Of course, that's a Notre Dame website. Um, I did put out a piece last week, which I don't know if some of you caught uh, a little bit of back and forth on Twitter. Uh, I put a piece out for, well, a little bit of background. Uh, site expert comes to me a couple weeks ago and says, how would you like to do a report on uh, Samantha Brunel, who is the number one female prep player, shit, sorry, um, the number one female prep player uh, in the 2019 class who recently committed to Notre Dame after they won the national championship. Grab some water. Um, I admitted to, to JP that I don't watch a lot of women's basketball. Uh, it's not something that's, uh, interesting to me, I guess. Um, although the women's game is more of a team game. Um, I just, I have a hard time watching female sports in general, other than beach volleyball. And, um, <clears throat> so I got on YouTube, I punched in her name, I got to watch her play and she impressed the shit out of me. Okay, she's a really good basketball player. She's really talented. She's, she's got size. She's got handle. She plays defense. She can score on all three levels. Go over slap us on. Check out the article. Anyway, after you read the article, uh, a few days later uh, on the on the Slack app that we all communicate on, the uh, writers for the site, um, <laughs> he comes out and tells me that a woman's sports blog has come after me a little bit. Uh, giving me shit because I admit in the article that I don't watch a lot of women's college basketball and and I, I don't cover it as a profession. Well, guess what, sweetie? I don't broadcast as a professional either, but I do it every Sunday. Okay, I don't write as a professional, but I do it you know a couple times a week for ACCBR. I, I do it once a week for SlapTheSign.com. So I guess, I, I don't know what to tell you. We, we don't have anybody dedicated to cover women's college hoops okay it is not as widely covered as men's college hoops but here's the thing <clears throat> and i'm going to try to not wind myself up here this is why people don't take you seriously this is why people don't take these causes seriously because instead of progressing your cause now you're just bitching about everything okay should should females be paid the same as men probably Okay, they do say a woman's work is never done. Maybe that's why she gets paid less. But regardless, 
I, I do believe in equality, okay? I do believe in that movement, okay? I think that's the correct movement. I'm not a sexist. I'm not a racist. Now, that's not to say I'm not going to have some fun with it from time to time, just like I expect women to make fun of men from time to time. I expect African-Americans to make fun of white men from time to time, okay? White people make fun of Hispanics time to time. I work construction. I see it every day. We make fun of each other, and then we shake hands, and we go home for the evening and have a beer together. Shit happens, okay? But if you want equality, what I have to ask is this. I do know basketball, and basketball is basketball. Whether it be a female playing the game or whether it be a man playing the game, I am, I'm able to recognize quality basketball. And when I watched Miss Brindle play, that's what I saw was quality basketball. And the write-up was very easy. Her game made it very easy for me. And the other thing I think that bothered me with this was this woman just – or this person just tweeted this out. Okay, my contact information is on the article. Okay, it's the first thing you see when you open up the website. Tag me. Send me a direct message. Ask me what's going on. Ask me why why this article happened and why I was chosen to write it. I wasn't chosen to write it. Okay? Somebody asked me if I wanted to write it and I watched her play and I said absolutely because she was an impressive player. And I thought the article was was short. It was a quick hitter. Um, but I thought it was to the point. I thought it was complimentary, and I hope it illustrated the fact that I was very impressed with her game. So I successfully made it through that intro without winding myself up, and I'm kind of proud about that because before I'd hit record this morning, I, I almost I wanted to take it to a pretty dark place, and I, and I didn't, thankfully, because some of the shit kind of winds me up. This stuff that's going on at George Washington right now has kind of wound me up a little bit. That you know, I was on fire about that yesterday. Uh, but for the most part, I didn't let it. Uh, I didn't let it loose. Okay, this is episode twenty-one, which makes this the Kevin Garnett episode. <clears throat> for those of you who don't know me personally, I was a huge Garnett fan when I was younger. Uh, when I still watched the NBA, uh, when he was in Minnesota, he was phenomenal. Uh, of course, I am a huge Stephon Marbury fan. So when Minnesota traded Ray Allen for Stephon Marbury, and Marbury and Garnett teamed up. You know, I thought rose petals were going to fall from the sky. I thought velvet ropes would part. You know, Garnett always made the playoffs in Minnesota, but never got out of the first round. I thought that was going to change. It did not until Latrell and uh, Sam Cassell came to town, along with Michael Candy, I guess, if you want to include him. Um, then, uh, then he went to Boston. Okay, and the media coverage in Boston is obviously a little bit harsher than the media coverage in Minneapolis. And I, I grew almost to loathe Kevin Garnett. Okay, it's one thing to be intense; it's another thing to be a fucking dick. And I, you know, I wish that Garnett would have stayed his entire career in Minnesota because I could not stand him when he came to Boston. Even though they won a championship, and that was phenomenal. That was great. You know, that was that was when Boston was was steadily becoming championship city, which it is. We just. You know, we rack them up, baby. The, the case is full. So, you know, I got to keep that in check a little bit. So I got I to cut that loose in the podcast because now I live in North Carolina and I'm a fucking dislike Duke. UNC fans bother me, even though I'm surrounded by them at work. I actually work in an office out of Chapel Hill. Um, the love they have for the Tar Heels is somewhat annoying sometimes. And obviously when I follow recruiting, it gets frustrating as well. So anyway, 
that's that's why this is the Kevin Garnett episode. I'm hoping to, you know, maybe grab a few extra follows. People think this is the Kevin Garnett interview episode. It is not that. It's just the Kevin Garnett episode because it's episode 21. So we're going to jump right into it. Uh, today's going to be a little bit of a a short show. I know they have been lately. The off-season content is killing me. There's just not a whole lot there. But I'm going to keep pumping it out as long as I can. I may take... Uh, next weekend off, I got some uh, some friends flying down from Maine, which I'm pretty excited about. So uh, I'll try to show them a good time while they're hanging out in the Triangle, while I also try to convince them to join us down here. I've uh, I had some friends move down from Maine, and hopefully uh, I can add a few more to the list as we all migrate south because it's just a better way of living down here, people. You know, uh, you know I love Maine, I miss my family, which is also slowly migrating down here. But uh, <clears throat> probably next week you won't see a show. Unless unless T wants to get on on the mic, you know he's a huge Tar Heels fan. I'm sure we're going to go to Chapel Hill while he's down here. You know he played uh, D3 basketball, actually led the nation, the entire nation in uh, three point percentage his sophomore year in college, I believe. Um, so he knows basketball. He's coached basketball. He's played basketball. So if he uh, if he wants to jump on the mic next week, maybe we might put out a might put out a, a show that's a little bit different. It might just be us sitting around bullshitting a little bit. Uh, getting into some ACC stuff. Uh, like I said, short week here. Uh, NC State agrees to a home and home with Auburn over the next two years. The first game will be played in Raleigh. I think this is a good move for Kevin Keats, especially the scheduling aspect of it. Okay, um, it's a good move for the Pack because it puts a quality opponent, but also a very beatable opponent on their schedule. Uh, it'll probably look pretty good RPI time. Um, uh, Bruce Pearl's obviously put together a ton of talent, though he's lost a little bit of it. And you know he's really good at putting talent together, not real great at uh, you know putting the uh, the tire to the road, getting the power down to the pavement. Um, and Auburn seems to struggle. Even this year, you know they were a four seed in the tournament, 24, 26 wins, something like that. Really struggled in the first round with Charleston, and then I believe got their doors blown off in the second round by I can't remember who. Um, <clears throat> regardless. The other thing this is good for is the second year when NC State goes to Auburn. I'm not sure Bruce Pearl's there. Okay, so you're going to get the year that you know they're going to be decent. You're going to get them at home, and I think they're very beatable next year as far as Auburn goes. I think NC State is loaded with talent this coming year. Going to be one of my, they're going to be high up in my rankings. Which uh, I'm going to start previewing. What is it? May. I need 15 weeks. Uh, going to start uh, previewing one team a week leading up to the start of the season, and I think there's like 180 days left. So I don't know what that works out to, but look for that probably to start in August, I guess, August, September, so uh, maybe late July. But uh, anyway, I think it's a good move for NC State. I think they're going to win both games. Okay, I'm going to go two years early. I'm going to say they're going to win both games. Uh, one reason is like I don't know if Bruce Pearl's going to be there the second year. Okay, uh, underwhelming results, regardless of what happened last year. I know that, I mean, for a while they were in a number one seed conversation. And I thought that was absolutely ridiculous. If you ever watched them play, there was no way they were a number one seed. Um, underwhelming results. Until last year, he had not done much to inspire much confidence with that program and where it was headed. And then obviously you have the Chuck Person. Uh, situation where Person was one of the four assistants that were arrested before the season last year. And as I said in last week's show, I think the arrests and the case and the things that happened last year are going to have a profound effect on this this coming season, next season, the 18-19 season, and that tournament that way, way far exceed 
you know, the 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 impact that it had on last year's uh, season and tournament. The other thing is Pearl continues to refuse to cooperate with officials and with the NCAA regarding this FBI investigation and the Chuck Person investigation specifically. And it's almost as if he's proud of it. With I mean, he, he's coming off a show cause. Okay, He's already had major violations, which, you know, I, I thought that the stuff at Tennessee was horseshit. You know, if you can't have a kid to a barbecue at your house, well, you know, that's that's ridiculous to me. Um, similar to the the Rob uh, the Rob Gray thing in Houston, where he played he paid twenty five dollars to play in a church league game, and he had to pay twenty five dollars in restitution <laughs> before uh, before he could play this past season. Which um, you know, it's just the NCAA being the NCAA. But if you're Pearl and you got this second chance at a at a really good university, it's going to pay you very well. It's a football school that that is is probably as long as you don't embarrass them at Auburn, okay. They're going to let you do what you want. And this is embarrassing. It has to be embarrassing for Auburn that he continues to refuse to cooperate with officials. Uh, Chuck Person, you know, his, one of his top recruiting assistants is arrested for on these on these bribery charges. or I don't know if it's bribery or tax evasion at this point. But, um, well, certainly it wouldn't be tax evasion, right? It would be bribery. He's bribing kids to sign with uh, Under Armour, I believe. I believe that's – no, there must – I don't know. Um, he's bribing kids to sign with certain agents after they go to college or whatever the fuck it is at this point. I, I've, I've simil- somewhat lost track because the investigation is starting to, to grow legs in, in different directions. It's hard to keep up with who's in bed with who. So anyway, and good move for NC State. I think they win both games. Puts a, a solid program that's also winnable on their schedule for the next two years. And they get the away game. They have to go away from home in a season where... You know the stability of that program is up in the air, so they're going to get the win when it's worth it, and they're probably going to get the win away from home when uh, when that when that program's probably trending the other way. Uh, the other, I guess, coaching uh, news from this week again, slow week. Uh, Julian Schwartz, you know, the, probably the worst kept secret in the ACC. Julian Schwartz probably going to be named uh, assistant coach at Georgia Tech uh, for one of their two open spots. He's been acting in that capacity for the past. Well, most of the season, basically since Daryl LeBerry was uh, put on administrative uh, leave last November and then ultimately resigned in February. I think Julian's done a great job. Uh, he has been director of ops at GTEC since Passner's been there since 2016. Also spent four years with Passner at Memphis in a non-recruiting role, uh, similar director of ops, uh, compliance officer, things of that nature. Uh, was a graduate assistant under Tom Crean at Marquette for three years, and then an intern at Indiana under Tom Crean uh, for a single year. So this that's an interesting wrinkle when you think about in-state recruiting in a talent-rich environment that is Georgia, is you have an assistant coach working at Georgia Tech that, that formerly worked under uh, the head coach at Georgia. So who knows uh, what kind of uh, recruiting you know, <laughs> recruiting stories, recruiting battles, uh, anti-recruiting, things like that that are going on in people's living rooms as far as Crean knowing Schwartz's uh, tendencies and obviously Schwartz knowing uh, Creed's, Crean's tendencies, which Tom Crean is known to be a little bit neurotic. Uh, if he saw him on on uh, in studio, he's just, he's an awkward guy. Um, I can't remember who the guy is that he always sat next to in the studio, but he always looked like he just wanted to backhand him. And Crean's uh, a, a character, I guess, is the best way to put that. But uh, I think Julian's done a, a pretty good job in Atlanta so far. He's gotten uh, the Yellow Jackets pretty deep on their number one 
uh, priority player, which is a kid out of Buford, Georgia, named Marcus Watson, who is <clears throat> kind of a a, uh, a Marcus George's hunt, if you remember him from a few years ago at G-Tech, kind of a, a built in the same frame as him, except uh, Watson plays with a little bit more anger, a little bit more fire. Uh, you know, he goes after the rim like it uh, like it uh, offended somebody in his family. And uh, <clears throat> I just I, I think Julian's done a good job. We'll see how it hashes out. I'm really interested to see how they fill that second spot. Because uh, Schwartz, many people don't know, Schwartz was a uh, 2,100-point score in high school and played for Wisconsin when Wisconsin went to the Final Four in 2000. Uh, Schwartz knows basketball. It'll be interesting to see whether he works with the guards or whether he works with the wings. Um, G-Tech still has yet to solidify that last uh, assistance position. It was uh, released that uh, Stansberry, Todd Stansberry, who's the Georgia Tech Athletic Director, and Marvin Lewis, uh, former G-Tech player that was on that Final Four team back in 2005, are, are helping Passner. All three are interviewing uh, potential candidates. And, you know, they hit a home run the first time around with uh, Reveno Hardy, uh, Daryl LeBerry, Schwartz, and Mario West basically round out that uh, that staff. And it may take some time. I've been a little bit impatient, I will admit. But uh, hopefully, uh, you know, they take a the time, they, they do a good job, and they make the correct hire. So when that happens, I'll let you guys know. Uh, most of today's show is going to be based on player movement. Um, I know I did that a couple weeks ago, but, you know, it's the time of year where recruiting's really firing up with the live periods. A uh, lot of offers flying around, a lot of evaluations being made. And I guess, uh, you know, there have been some commitments in the league so far uh, for the 2018 class. And real quick, uh, Wake Forest picked up a couple graduate transfers, uh, one from Buffalo, the other from Northern Arizona. Uh, Kenna Smart, who is a, a forward from Buffalo, <clears throat> Uh, three and a half points, three and a half boards per game for Buffalo. He's going to be a, a bench role, a role player type guy. Uh, he's going to be behind Olivier Saar, uh, absolutely. And possibly the Loring uh, a freshman they have coming in who's a, a pretty highly rated recruit. Uh, the other one is uh, Tory Johnson from Northern Arizona who averages double you know, double figures over his three years at Northern Arizona, 11.5 points per game last year. Uh, not really a deep threat, more of a drive, drive and dish, drive and finish, get to the line type player. Uh, he'll do well. I think he'll, um, you know, he's going to sit behind Childress for sure. Uh, he'll have to battle out for time with incoming freshman Jamie Lewis, I think. But, uh, you know, it, it, quality depth is, is something that's obviously very important in, in a conference like the ACC, uh, especially when you get to tournament time. Not that Wake Forest ever has to worry about tournament time. But, you know, quality depth, we can get there when you play at a conference and the officials call the games a lot tighter than we do in the ACC. It's, uh, you know, it's good to have these type of quality depth players. You know, the Sam Hunts, you know, uh, you know that was at NC State last year, quality depth. Brandon Alston at Georgia Tech, quality depth. So, you know, it's a guard-driven league. It's a guard-driven game. Uh, quality depth at the guard position is absolutely paramount. I think uh, I think the Johnson pickup in particular is going to be big for Wake. You know, he's he's an older guy on a team that has has had a lot of turnover this offseason. season. Um, has potentially more turnover coming if Bryant Crawford decides not to come back. And uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm sure uh, you know that senior leadership is really going to come in handy, especially with the the freshman class they have coming in and the players they've lost as far as upperclassmen goes. Uh, Louisville lands uh, Christian Cunningham, who is a transfer from Jacksonville State. Is that what it was? Yeah. Uh, Jacksonville State is a first recruit from the Chris Mack era. Um, I'm sure that uh, Chris Mack would have 
really liked for Courtney Ramey to be the first recruit of the Chris Mack era, but unfortunately that didn't happen. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Ramey was a prior recruit to Louisville who had committed, who decommitted when Patino was fired. And uh, actually, uh, Mack was able to get Louisville back in Ramey's uh, top four, but Ramey ultimately decided to go to Texas instead. Anyway, uh, Jacksonville State, Christian Cunningham, he's a 6'6 forward, uh, not a combo forward, as you might think. He's never shot a three-point shot in college basketball as a 6'6 forward. Seven and a half points, seven rebounds per game. Does does protect the rim a little bit. Uh, averaged un- just under two uh, blocks per game uh, for his entire career at Jacksonville State. Again, though, Jacksonville State, this is the ACC. I, I think he's going to be kind of a role player. <clears throat> Some of these guys that step up, it, when they come to the ACC, it just it just doesn't work. Uh, but with what Louisville has lost in the front court, that being Anas Mahmoud, Ray Spalding, you know, he, he's going to be a bit player. He's going to play behind Williams. Um, I'm interested to see how Chris Mack uses Jordan Noir this year. Uh, he is a, a power forward, but he's also a stretch four. I think he slides right into that Ray Spalding type role. I think uh, th- this Cunningham kid, I think he's going to play maybe – third or fourth big man off the bench. I don't expect a whole lot from him, um, but we'll see how it turns out. You know what I mean? I, honestly, I've never seen the kid play, so I'm just I'm kind of going by size, skill, school that he's coming from, and, and things that he can expect. He's going to be a bit player. He's going to play behind Noor and Malik Williams, I believe. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But again, quality depth. I mean, you don't average almost a double-double in two blocks a game anywhere in college basketball and not be a quality player. So, the, you know, this kid provides quality depth. I think it's a good pickup for Chris Mack. Uh, in recruiting news, Wendell Moore tripped his, uh, trimmed his list to five. He actually has four ACC schools in his top five, uh, those being Duke, UNC, NC State, Wake Forest. Uh, the fifth one is South Carolina. <clears throat> so it's a pretty likely chance that he ends up in the ACC. Uh, he's the number 24 player in the 2019 class, 6'5 swingman. Uh, right now, Duke is number, uh, I'm sorry, right now, Duke is 87% in the affirmative on the crystal ball, which we all know what that's worth. It's a tool. You use it to give you an idea of who's recruiting him and who's hot on him. Um, obviously, at this point, I don't think anybody's quite ruled out. And where he's the number 24 kid in the 2019 class, you never know. No, Duke, he may not be a priority for Duke. And how ridiculous is that? How how on fire is Duke when the number 24 kid in the class may not be your priority? Okay. <laughs> they got three kids in the, they got four kids in the top 12 coming in next year. Uh, it, it's absolutely ridiculous the role they're on. I mean, I'm really interested to see how um, how they recruit and how the Capel is, is at Pitt. Obviously, Capel was the guy, the straw that stirred that drink. Um, I did make a joke on Twitter the other day when... Uh, when, well, let's get into the next story. I guess there's a new Fab Five. Okay, okay. Duke now has a legitimate Fab Five as former 2019 class uh, letter of intent, uh, verbal commitment to Duke. Uh, Joey Baker, who is a huge recruit in the 19 class that had previously signed with Duke, has reclassified to the 2018 class. Now <clears throat> that gives them R.J. Barrett. Okay, he's going to play the two. Okay, uh, Trey Jones playing the lead guard, Cam Reddish playing a wing, I guess, uh, Joey Baker playing a wing, <clears throat> and Zion, I assume, is going to be the four or the five, and Marcus Bolden is going to be, well, Zion will be the four, Marcus Bolden will be the five. Then you also have Alex O'Connell on the bench, so I don't really know, um, I, I made a joke the other day that, uh, that Shire was taught how to duffel bag 
by Jeff Capel. That was one of Jeff Capel's things when he was going out the door was he taught, uh, he taught Shire how to duffel. And I, I don't know what's in this. Obviously, what's in it for Duke is huge quality as far as depth goes because you also have Alex O'Connell on the wing who is a, you know, has shown flashes of brilliance. And I, I don't know what's in it for Baker, though, because all these kids are going to leave. He's going to be the diamond in the 2019 class. Maybe he thinks they're going to win the championship. I, I fell for it last year. I will not fall for it this year. Duke will not be my my pick to win either the ACC or the NCAA tournament. Um, I already know who I'm going to pick uh, for the ACC title this year, regular season. Um, I have not decided, obviously, with the 2018 class still up in the air, who's going to who I think is going to win the NCAA championship. But... I will be revealing that over the next few months as the summer kind of turns into the fall and we get into uh, preseason prediction time. That time is not now. So anyway, I assume Zion's going to play the four. Bolden's going to play the five. So you have Baker, Reddish, Barrett, Alex O'Connell on the wings, Trey Jones, the Goldwire kid. Uh, uh, you know, Barrett can play some point guard. He uh, obviously displayed that when he was in Egypt and did a great job for Team Canada, uh, led them to the title, and that was kind of his where everybody got to know him like, holy shit, this kid is really fucking for real. I just I don't know what's in it for Baker other than a championship. You know, I, and I don't think that's going to happen, especially with the lack of leadership. You know, I think, like I said, most of us learned our lesson last year. Uh, Grayson Allen was not ideal in that leadership role, but he he stepped up when Bagley went down. This is something I talked about in yesterday's article as well at accbr.com. I I just I I don't know what's going on here. Okay, did did Alex O'Connell just get recruited over? It's a possibility. They did it to Jordan Tucker last year. Duke continues to be, I guess, the guiding light of the ACC. You know, it's not a ton of drama, but if you watch how they recruit and how they do things, and also, I didn't look into it a whole lot this week. There was a story that came out from Semi Ojale's parents about when Ojale transferred from Duke to SMU, where Coach K was not very Coach K esque. Um, if you believe the story, I, I, I didn't dive too far into it. I, I hate the drama. I, I really do. The, the drama is something that it just doesn't, doesn't attract me. Um, I actually, uh, created a Facebook page for the podcast this week and immediately put my settings to as private as I could get them. So nobody could find me. And I only want to just produce the show on the page that I created from my profile. So if you want, uh, check out the semi Ojalay. Uh, stuff on Twitter. I'm sure it's easily found. It's easy to find. Coach K Semiogele. There it is. Probably a thousand tweets, a hundred thousand tweets about it. Something for you to investigate. But it was not uh, painting Coach K in a very flattering light. Unlike the uh, the ACC halftime interview that they play every fucking game on the ACC network. So give that a look, and certainly pay attention to Duke as they uh, as they try to figure out this roster situation. They're they're kind of moving into Kentucky territory now, where They've, they're recruiting all the top players, but all the top players play the same position. And I think that's what's getting Kentucky into trouble right now. Um, they are not the same Kentucky program they were a few years ago, I don't think. Um, sure, you, you might load up on talent, but you ain't doing shit in the tournament. So uh, I'm going to wrap up the show with a little bit of talk about Virginia. And uh, they had a pretty good week. Obviously, uh, they had signed uh, Casey Morsell. Uh, a few weeks ago, and 
this week they actually landed a seven-footer out of Argentina who plays for the NBA Institute or Academy, NBA Academy in Australia named uh, Francisco Caffero. Now, this kid just kind of blew up in the last couple weeks. Um, all of a sudden his name was on the list and he actually committed to Virginia before 24-7 could actually get an entire profile up on him. Um, we heard about him one day and then he, well, I say we, I'm not part of 24-7. I say we as a part of a message board community, uh, obviously at Georgia Tech, where we offered him and he was committed four or five days later. Um, <clears throat> so he, out of the NBA Academy in Australia, he's from Argentina. He has huge upside in my opinion. Um, he is a, a part of the same program that produced a uh, fellow 2019-2018 class uh, UVA commit Cody Statman. Uh, this kid, uh, Kafaro, is only 17 years old, so he comes in you know, still developing, possibly still growing, even though he's 7 feet tall. Um, this NBA Academy over in Australia, this used to be the St. Mary's Pipeline, okay? I believe. I'm 99.9% .9 sure. That, you know, this is where like kids from Del like Della Vadova came from. Okay, uh, now you know Virginia's starting to invade that pipeline a little bit. And I remember last fall, you know, Tony Bennett kind of came under fire, especially after he missed on uh, Andrew Nemhard that uh, that he couldn't recruit. The style of play was starting to impact his recruiting. Well, he's quietly putting together a quality class in 2018, and then the Morsell kid coming in 2019 is a really good pickup for him as well. Uh, this this Kaihi Clark, he's a little bit undersized point guard, but he's a good player. Uh, you got Statman, and now you got Kafaro, and they're developmental players. But Tony Bennett can recruit. Okay, he's got, he comes from the Jay Wright school of thought. He's not recruiting guys. He's not getting on rivals. Okay, looking at the top 100 guys and saying, okay, these are all the guys I need to recruit. Now he goes out. He identifies the kids that can play in his system, and he goes out and he recruits them and he lands them. And you know what he does? He just wins ACC regular season championships. That's all he does. I think he's got three in the last six years, something like that. Okay. How many has Duke got? I mean, you know, um, you know, he does lose to 16 seeds in the tournament. I, I can hear all you guys saying that now. He's just, he does do that too. And, but he's the only guy that does that. Okay. That's his thing. You know, you got, everybody's got to be good at something. Tony Bennett likes to lose to 16 seeds. Now, <laughs> but <laughs> the the thing is, you can't. If anything, if you can learn anything from Jay Wright, learn that it's not the ranking of the player that you're recruiting. It is the fit of the player that you're recruiting fitting into the system of things that your team does that they do well and that they're successful doing. Okay, remember when Jay Wright was recruiting Scotty Reynolds and Dominique Cheek and. Oh, uh, well, Scotty Fisher, Curtis Sumter. Okay, those guys they all lost early in the play, early in the in the in the NCAA tournament. Except Scotty Reynolds. I think Scotty Reynolds may have been to the Elite Eight Final Four. Not sure. As a senior. I think Villanova or maybe they were really good and they lost really early. I can't remember how that went. I'd have to look it up. But anyway, Jay Wright transitioned into recruiting guys that he could quote unquote coach. And and look at Nova now, you know. They're, they're a blue blood program, or at least on the verge of being a blue blood program. Now, something else that's happening that some of you guys may not have picked up on is Braxton Key, who is a Alabama transfer, averaged uh, roughly 10 points, five and a half boards, a couple of assists a game over two seasons at Alabama, is on the transfer market uh, after his sophomore year. He's a sit one, play two transfer, 
And he visited Virginia on an official visit recently. And shortly after that official visit, he canceled his visit to Miami, which, you know, according to John Rothstein, Braxton Key is going to Virginia. Now, he's a sit-one player, so he's going to sit while DeAndre Hunter is a sophomore, and then Key's going to come in. He's going to be that replacement for for DeAndre Hunter. So, basically, Tony Bennett has started off his 2019 recruiting class with Casey Morsell and Braxton Key. Okay, tell me this guy can't recruit. <laughs> okay? I mean, he's just going to keep winning. He's the Even though he's, what, the national coach of the year last year, even though he lost to a 16 seed in the tournament, He's one of the best coaches in the country. And just because he's not landing four of the top 13 players in the country every year and, you know, has drama surrounding his entire program doesn't mean that he's not a good coach, okay? Just because he hasn't been to the Final Four doesn't mean he's not a good coach. Now, I'm starting to buy into the stigma that Virginia can't win in the tournament. I, I think they can. I thought they could this year. I had him in my Final Four. I think a lot of people had him in their Final Four. They're, they're going to shake it off. Okay, I bet Tony Bennett makes the Final Four before Sean Miller does. Uh, can I go on record for that? That's a, that's, fucking, that's a great prediction for me. I didn't even have that written down. That just came out of my mouth. Sometimes I just open my mouth and shit flies out. It's crazy. Tony Bennett will make the Final Four before Sean Miller does. Write that down. Okay? For the most part, folks, I'm done. What are, what are we at right now? Whew. 34 minutes. Uh, like I said, we knew it was going to be short today, right? So uh, I'm going to leave you. Don't forget, like, rate, review, share, tell your friends, tell your mom, okay? For those of you who want the stickers, they're beautiful stickers. I have them sitting in the drawer in front of me. All you got to do is identify the song, okay? Identify the song, get on Twitter, tag ACCBR, and tag me, and I'll send you some stickers, man, okay? Let's grow this brand. Let's do it, all right? I don't know, until next week. Maybe not. Maybe I'm going to sit down with Tony next week. I'm going to talk college basketball. Maybe not. I'll let you guys know on Twitter what I'm thinking after I talk to him. He flies in on Thursday. So expect some news from me on Friday about whether or not there'll be a show next week. If not, there'll definitely be a show after that because it seems like when I take weeks off, some crazy shit happens. Now, if some crazy shit happens, we might be on. It might be, it might be on because Tony's a big ACC fan, so we might have to get on here and talk about it. I leave you with some excellent tunage. I thank you for joining me. Like, rate, review. I appreciate the reviews I've been getting. Uh, we have, I have recovered, basically, from the poor review that I got early on. Uh, of course, one of them is mine because I'm an idiot and I don't know how to delete it. But, again, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you listening every week. Uh, the downloads are growing. I really appreciate that. Check me out on Slap the Sign today. I appreciate it, and I'll see you.